When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are doing a quick recap of the beginning of Big 12 Conference play. I'm sorry, not recap, a, a uh, preview. I was doing some of the women's stuff, and so I had recap in my mind. Um, but preview of the home opener in conference play for the Kansas Jayhawks. And that means it is uh, a chance, as, as Kyle has put it over on Blue Wings Rising quite a few times, a chance for Kansas to exact revenge uh, for... Not only the only loss at home last year, but probably one of the biggest losses I've seen at home in a long time, and that was to the TCU Horn Frogs. Of course, to, to help me talk about this team and prepare for this game, it is none other than Melissa Trebosser. Um, you know, she's been on quite a few times. Melissa, how you doing today? You know, I am. I'm doing all right. I've I've been on Christmas break from school, but I've also had you know a hot water heater go out. I've had problems with my heater. It just it's been one electricity. So I spent the whole two weeks just putting money into my house. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, that's what everyone wants to do around Christmas time, right? Yeah, is put all exactly. the money in the house instead of you yeah. know presents. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like Merry Christmas present to yourself. You have hot water again. Yeah, yeah, and I got to buy myself two new tires because a piece of. I mean, it's just been you know. Oh boy, 20, man. 2023, been the year of spending money on things that are not fun but are part of being an adult. I guess. Gotta love all that adulting stuff. All right, it's so now cool. we can. So now we get to like not adult for a little while here while we talk basketball because that's yes. always a ton of fun. Um, TCU, obviously, this team is a lot, or it seems at least to be a lot different than it was last year. Um, but maybe not like what, what are your, I guess, what are your initial thoughts about this team? How has this team actually done in the non-conference? Well, it's, it's hard to judge this non-conference schedule because Jamie Dixon is, is well known as somebody who, who likes to rack up the, the W's early on. Um, and because like you said, this is almost a completely different team than it was a season ago. Um, when you look at how much, uh, replacing they did in the transfer portal compared to, to the 2022-2023 season. So, um, a very, very soft schedule. We were talking, you know, before we started recording, TCU's really only played two teams of note, and that's Clemson and Nevada, and they lost both of those games, um, pretty, not handily necessarily, but, uh, Clemson and, and Nevada were both in control. Um, both were neutral site games. Uh, you lost to Nevada in the Diamond Head Classic, lost to Clemson in Toronto. Um, but other than that, they haven't been challenged a whole lot. They've looked absolutely outstanding against bad teams. They've done to bad teams what they should do. But when they've faced teams that are a little bit more physical, a little bit more, um, tactically prepared, uh, they, they've struggled, especially in the half court. And much like it's been the last couple of years, if you can let this TCU team play great defense, get in the passing lanes, create turnovers and get out and run. They can literally play with any team in the country. But if you muck up the game and you force them to play in the half court, they still struggle um, getting a good half court offense. They struggle um, with being able to to knock down three pointers and knock down open jump shots. I mean, that's kind of been the Jamie Dixon's MO over, you know, his, you know, several decades of coaching experience. And this team looks like a Jamie Dixon team. They can, they can be great and, and they can struggle if you if you force them to play at a tempo they're not comfortable with. So so they do well against teams that are not disciplined and that can't run tactics, which sounds exactly like Kansas, right? No, perfect. Um, it's good. Yeah. No, it's funny. Like 
I mean, this, this Kansas team, they don't like, like to run a ton, but they're not yeah. afraid to run. But man, this TCU team, they love to run. Um, yeah. One of the fastest teams in the country as far as, um, you know, how quick they get the shot up there, how many points they average in the fast break game, um, and, uh, how many possessions per game they play. I mean, they, they are an elite running team, um, which, which is fun and great, but, you know, we've, we've seen that doesn't necessarily always work in the postseason. And, and I mean, thankfully now as, as TCU, we're able to think about how do we win in March, not just how do we not embarrass ourselves in the six months prior to that, because that's what, what TCU basketball was up until, you know, three, four years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, from, from what I under, from, from what people are saying, it's essentially UCF is now in the TCU role of coming into the conference with a basketball program that you're like, I don't know if it can stand up. And then eventually it took time, but eventually yeah. getting to the point where now it's, I mean, TCU is one of those teams, they're right smack dab in the middle of the pack of the Big 12, which is probably about as big a compliment as you can get if you're not, like, you know, winning a league every single year because the yeah. Big 12 is the toughest conference around. No, Yeah, you, if you're yeah. around 500 in this league, you're making the tournament. Yeah, you know, exactly. You could be under 500 and, and you're going to make the tournament. And I, I think that's what's going to be really interesting about this season. I, this is year eight, I think, for Jamie Dixon. TC fans were ecstatic to see this team first not be an embarrassment. I mean, that was literally step number one. Step number two was play in meaningful postseason games. You know, he wins an NIT, I think, in year two. And then step number three was make the tournament. And then it was win a game. But now you've won a game in back-to-back years, and you haven't been able to advance past that first weekend. And I think, you know, after pulling this program out of the muck and the mire, which Jamie Dixon did, now fans are kind of like, hey, like, we want to get to the sweet 16. We want to, we want to be more than a one and done. And so that's going to be interesting is, is, is this the year they get over that hump finally? I mean, TCU's literally never played a sweet 16 game. It has never happened. And so, um, I, I don't want to say patience is running thin by any stretch. I don't want to say Jamie Dixon is on the hot seat by any stretch. Those things are not true, but it's kind of, it's actually kind of nice to see the TCU fan base have expectations for basketball and want and, and expect them to be a team that can win more than one game in the NCAA tournament. That's, that's pretty freaking cool, especially when they play in this conference um, and, and what this conference is today and what it's going to be a year from today. I mean, it's just, it's I, terrifying and amazing. I, I will say the one thing that they need to work on is not getting screwed over by refs in, in, in the NCAA yeah. tournament. So yeah, um, yeah, that, that, that has played a role for sure, but still. need, need, need to put some work in to make sure that, that, you know, yeah. that they don't do that again. So, um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, I mean, like you said, this is a completely revamped roster for TCU. I mean, yeah, they have some guys coming back, uh, obviously names that jump out, you know, Micah PV and Emmanuel Miller guys that, that are ones that you've, you know, heard from before, mm-hmm. but a uh, man, there's a ton of new names, including Kansas transfer Ernest Uday. Uh, I'm going to just going to get this taken care of off the top. I think a lot of people were expecting him to come in and have a much bigger role. Um, you know, for, for all the Kansas fans that listen to the podcast, like what, what has been, what was the thought process in terms of what, like what you were expecting from him and has he come even close at all to filling into where you thought he would? Yeah, actually a hundred percent. Um, you know, I think that, uh, when you look at how limited his basketball experience was, you know, as at the collegiate level, he didn't play hardly at all at Kansas last year. And I'm sure that's part of the reason why he transferred. Um, but he's also super raw. I mean, this is a kid that was all athleticism, all size, but was really just growing into his body. And he's young. I mean, he's what was like 19, maybe barely 20 years old at this point. And so, um, I think what we saw was, was, a guy we've never had before, you know, at TC, really, you know, that true seven foot rim protector guy that can run the floor, that can finish the alley-oops, um, that, that can create space in the paint. 
And I think we've seen game by game him literally game by game. I think he's gotten better. He has not taken a lot of steps back. He's taken a lot of very small steps forward. So um, his minutes, I mean, he's starting and still playing about 16 minutes a game. So he's not getting a ton of run. And part of that is a, because he does have some developmental work to do. He gets in a little bit of foul trouble and he's not the polished offensive weapon that his backups are. I mean, you've got SM Mustafa and um, Xavier Cork, who, who poor Xavier Cork had to play a lot of center last year. He's not a true center, but when they run small, He's a guy that's really impactful. They're much better offensive players. Um, but I think what Uday has done defensively, just the presence that he provides in the paint in that regards, especially when you consider the length around him. I mean, you mentioned Micah Peavy. Micah Peavy could well end up being the defensive player of the year in this conference if TCU acquits itself well in the win-loss column. I mean, he is... He might be the most improved player. I've one of the most improved players I've seen in college basketball this year, as far as what he's done offensively and then just the defensive weapon he is. But putting Uday behind the rest of that length that you have at the forward and the guard spot, I think he's been super, super effective in that role. I would love by the time that postseason basketball Big Twelve tournament rolls around for him to be probably more in that twenty-two to twenty-four minute per game range. I think that's probably when TCU is playing their best basketball. But I don't think any. Anybody that, that has watched him play, anybody that understands Jamie Dixon and, and TCU and their priorities expected him to be the guy this year. I think the hope is that you have a guy you can build around next year and, and possibly for the next two years, depending on obviously how much he develops. Um, anything we get from him in year one is a bonus. And that's why Mustafa was brought in. I mean, he, he's a kid who's, you know, played at Coastal Carolina. He was a multi-year starter. He's played over a thousand, you know, thousand, I think he's a thousand point scorer or something already. So that was your experience vet that you brought in. Uday is the guy that you're saying, hey, we're playing you now to let you get that experience, but we expect you to be a significant contributor a year from now. Um, so it's, he's, it's kind of the best of both worlds that he's given TCU anything right now, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of funny because the impression we all got when he left Kansas was that he he was looking for a situation where he could have a significant role, right? Where he could be a guy that was putting in 25 minutes a game. That even if he wasn't starting, that he was, you know, in for quite a bit and was rotating with a bunch of other guys and, and doing a bunch of stuff. And I don't think early returns have been that expectation. There was even some rumors flying around that, you know, he may have potentially at one point, obviously I don't think anymore because he's playing more. Um, but like early in the season where he was, I think he had played a total of like 20 minutes or something over the course of like the first eight games, uh, where he was just like, man, I left Kansas to come for this, you know, to, to, to not play. And so I think it was legitimate at that point, but I, I think the role even at Kansas was going to be something similar where he wasn't going to play a ton of minutes because you have Hunter Dickinson down low, you know, yeah. and then you have a guy like Parker Brown and you have, uh, you know, KJ Adams, like you have a bunch of guys that were going to eat up a bunch of the minutes. The question was, do you feel your development situation is better and you ha- and your long-term playing prospects are better at a place like Kansas where they're always going to probably be trying to recruit over you or a place like TCU where you bring in guys, you develop them, expect them as upperclassmen to be the big contributors. And then you bring in other guys, you know, to, to kind of recruit and develop and, and whether they, you know, I think the path to big minutes for Uday was clearer at TCU, but I also don't know, depending on like what his, you know, whether he wanted immediate playing time or if he was concerned specifically about a certain kind of development for, you know, a, a potential NBA or, or professional basketball career. Not really, really sure what, what exactly he was planning on, but, you know, I, I don't think there's like a right or wrong. It really is just like, what did Uday want? And I don't think it was initially what he was expecting, but it definitely well, he, seems like he's playing a lot better. 
Yeah, and he, I mean, he has not played less than 13 minutes per game. He, he, even his first handful of games, he was playing 13, 15, 17. Um, his last two games, he's played 20 minutes each. And I think that's probably the, the goal for him right now. You know, the fouls have been an issue. Turnovers have been a little bit of an issue. I think the biggest thing for him is, is he's got to make his free throws. Um, he had a great game against Texas A&M Commerce last time out. Again, Texas A&M Commerce, like whatever. But, you know, he got to the free throw line 12 times. He makes five. But he has 18 rebounds. You know, he's had three double-digit rebound games. Um, he's had another um, with eight. And I think as long as he's doing that, then he's going to stay, you know, as long as he's contributing in one way or the other, he's going to stay on the floor. Um, but I, I do think that the, the development, I think that's the key that you hit on. Like you said, at Kansas, they're going to be constantly recruiting over him. And especially with the transfer portal, they're going to bring in guys you know, whether it's a one-year rental or two-year guy to where I don't know that, that Uday probably thought that he had a path to become the guy with how raw he was at TCU. I think they're more willing to say, hey, you're going to be our anchor in the middle. We're going to build around you. Um, but I, I guess the thing that I, I really do appreciate about Jamie Dixon as a coach um, is I think he's really honest in the recruiting process from everything that we've heard. And he does have a plan and a path to develop guys. TCU is not going to be a destination in the way that Kansas or some of these other blue blood programs are. You're going to have to take chances from a, a basketball perspective. And I think I've seen this now with football, too, with how they changed their philosophy on the portal of getting those guys who – who realize, hey, I'm I'm gonna always be like one B. I'm never gonna be one A because they need more development than some of these blue blood programs are able to pour into guys when they're expected to win championships every year. And so I think it's a good situation. I'm sure he was frustrated early. It does feel like his role is expanding to a place where he's probably comfortable. And I know the GCU coaching staff is comfortable. Um the question is, is can he be the kind of guy they can help those translate to wins. Um, and, and to do so, he's going to have to be more of a factor on the offensive end um, of the floor. He has he not scored. I mean, he's only averaging um, – let me I want to make sure I get this correct. He's only averaging, um, what, like four, four and a half points a game. You know, and that's just not going to get right. now. Five and a half rebounds. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm looking – like the stat I actually had seen now that I found it again was he'd only had 10 shots and then yeah. – 16 points at yeah. like the and first eight games or something like that. It was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> he only, he's only had 30 field goal attempts all season. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's going to be the thing is, is are they going to game? And again, TC's biggest struggle on offense and has been their biggest struggle on offense is, is in the half court. You want your seven footer to be a guy that you can feed down low. And I, th- I do think he's a really good passer. Um, he, he can get, he turns it over a little bit still, but I think he's got great vision at that position, kind of like Eddie Lincoln had for TC last couple of years. So I think he can develop into that. But if he can develop that more back to the basket game and be more of a threat down low, he could be a difference maker for TC in the half court. And honestly, that's how they're gonna, they're gonna have to be able to win games that way in the big 12. Um, they're not there yet. But like I said, the hope is, you know, you get into February, March that, that he can be a guy that can give you a double double pretty regularly. Kind of, you're trying to replace Eddie Lampkin, right? So you're hoping that then maybe he can be the kind of guy that does that and does it a little bit more efficiently than Lamp- Lampkin does or even is now today at Colorado. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this to be the Ernest Duday show. So let's go ahead and jump into, uh, some of these other players. Uh, I mean, who else? Like, obviously Micah PV, huge portion yeah. of this of this offense you know and, and kind of the way that this team goes and, and you mentioned his defensive improvement who are some of the other guys maybe you know some of the new guys that have really had a huge impact on the way that this team plays this year that, that Kansas fans are not familiar yeah. with Definitely want to talk about some of the new guys. I have a massive crush on, on Trey Tennyson, but, um, I, I would feel remiss to not mention Emmanuel Miller first. Um, he, he is CC's best player. He's the most complete 
player. He's probably their most uh, likely NBA player. Although I do think Micah Peavy is going to find a role somewhere as a three and D guy eventually. But um, Emmanuel, and he's also the heart and soul of, of TCU basketball. I mean, he really is. Emmanuel Miller is one of my favorite athletes I've ever covered. Um, but he's just one of the best people um, in college basketball. Truly a wonderful guy. His brother obviously is in the NBA. Was it was a lottery pick last year? Um, he's got the size. He's got the shooting ability. He's improved from the three point line. If he could just get his three point percentage up to like thirty nine percent, it's at thirty five and a half right now. I think he'd be a, a guaranteed uh, NBA prospect because he just does so many things well. Uh, he leads the team in scoring at 16 points a game. He's averaging six rebounds a game. He's a playmaker. He can he can dish. Um, he draws uh, a lot of attention when he drives. Um, he can handle the ball. He does a lot of things. So Emmanuel Miller, I think, is the key to TCU's ultimate success. He's not a guy that's going to give you those big 30-point games, but he's certainly capable of it. But what he's going to do is every, he's very rarely going to have a bad night. Um, and I think that's so important for this TCU team. He can lead the break. He's great defensively. He does all of the things. I was really excited about Jameer Nelson Jr. That might just be because I was such a Jameer Nelson fan um, growing up, and, and basketball is one of my f- favorite players to watch. Um, you know, he's a, he's another kid, a super veteran guy, came over from Delaware, was the starting point guard. Um, point guard has, has been one of the big areas of weakness for TCU, um, obviously with the departure of Mike Miles. Um, but, uh, you know, Nelson's kind of struggled. He started off really, really strong. He took a little bit of a step back. Uh, Jamie Dixon did something we rarely see him do and that he made changes to the starting lineup. And Jameer Nelson has come off the bench. Off the bench, he's been a great spark. He can score in bunches. I mean, he was a high scorer at Delaware. He's a, he's a pretty decent playmaker. He wasn't asked to do that a lot previously, um, in college. And I think he's developed it, um, over the course of the season. If he's content to be kind of that six man, come off the bench and, and almost that Malik Monk role for Sacramento, I think he has a chance to be super, super effective. He can, he can be a double digit scorer off the bench for sure for this team. And he runs that second unit so well. So if he's willing to buy into that, I think that's a huge, huge, uh, Great success for for TCU. Trey Tennyson is the guy uh, who was brought in to be the sniper. I mean, since Desmond Bain, Horn Frogs have not had a knockdown three point shooter, and he hasn't quite gotten there yet. Um, I, I've been a little bit disappointed. I watched him in practice. I really thought that he was going to be, you know, a, a, a super great shooter. He's gotten better. Um, his, his three point percentage is up to forty four percent. He started off really slow, so I think if he can. Hitting that 40 to 42% range in the Big 12, that's a huge need for TCU. He's moved into the starting lineup now and has, has been actually more effective in that role. He just needs to take more shots. I mean, that's really the biggest thing. They need to find him more opportunities. Um, but he's he's been really, really good. Um, uh, Avery Anderson, um, also the Oklahoma State transfer, I'm sure Kansas fans are aware of. Um, he's moved into the starting role. He's starting uh, at the at the point guard position um, or playing a lot of point guard for TCU. Super athletic guy, another veteran guy that's played a ton of minutes of Big 12 basketball. And so, um, I, you know, he's super important, I think, too, to, to TCU's overall success. There's a lot of pieces um, and there's been some mixing and matching here over the last couple of weeks. Um, those are the guys that, that I think are, are kind of the, the new guys that are key to getting TC over the hump. Um, but you also have to talk about Chuck O'Bannon because at this point he's 79 years old. Um, he's, he's dealt with some injuries. You know, they, they've kind of had to baby his minutes a little bit because he literally is like, I think he's like 25. He's one of the oldest players in college basketball. This is like year eight, I think, for him or year seven um, in, in the sport, which is insane. Um, but he, he seems to have kind of, you know, he's not starting. He's coming off the bench. He's not getting a ton of shot attempts, but he's the dude's a bucket. And when he gets hot, um, he is really, really hard to guard. He's only taken 22 threes. Um, but I think he hit six of them in one game at the Diamond Head Classic. Like he's, he's, he's a guy that, that. When when you when you get him on a heater, you just ride him, um, and I think he's content to play that role at this point, mostly because he's near retirement age and he probably doesn't want to have to do too much. But 
No, I was going to say he's like uh, you know every time one of those those old souls of like you know Perry Ellis style. Yeah. Yeah, Once they leave college basketball, her. they like reincarnate into a different player who then goes forever. So, yep. Um, yep. Chuck O'Bannon definitely feels like that guy for them. So, no, um, Avery Anderson is kind of the guy that I have circled as my guy who's going to randomly go off from three against the Jayhawks because it seems to happen every single time. Uh, I mean, that they he's play. only shooting so, like 23%. Yeah, I know. He's, he's only shot was. 21 so far yeah. this year, but. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just weird. Like, one guy who has a really low percentage, but in the past has been a decent shooter that just goes ballistic. Uh, it's happened yeah. to Kansas way too many times to count. But uh, Well, and he we we expected him to be better, you know, from three. And I, I think he's not shooting what he's capable of from, from that distance. And I'm interested to see now that he's in the starting role if he maybe gets more opportunities playing alongside Micah Peavy and Emmanuel Miller to, to shoot more threes. Uh, because I think you're right. Like, he he's a guy that is going to have to be able to knock down the open ones. You know, he gets to the rim. He does a lot of great things defensively. Um, but he's just not going to win. If if their guards that are supposed to shoot thirty eight percent from three are shooting twenty three percent from three, yeah, I mean, and he was you know before last year he was like a thirty two percent career three point shooter, which isn't bad. He also I think was taking a lot better threes. Like last year he was only an eighteen percent three point shooter, but that was I think because he took a lot of rush shots, a lot of challenge shots. Um, This year I expected him to be just better coming into TCU because it seemed like they were going to set him up for them a little bit better. So that I mean. I'm definitely worried that that's going to be, you know, the breakout performance from this game. Um, God, I hope so. <laughs> but you know what? Um, I, I'm going to be interested to see Dewan Harris match him shot for shot. And, you know, we'll see that little competition going on. Because uh, one thing that Kansas fans really want to see from Dewan Harris is him taking over more games offensively. We know he can. He's done it in some big spots. Uh, it's not what he typically likes to do. But I'm very interested to see that point guard matchup. Um, I'm very interested to see what Kansas is going to be able to do. Um, you know, definitely want to see which guys live up to expectations. But there is one thing that has always lived up to expectations, and that is the lineup from our sponsor on the podcast, the the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a is a Kansas City based company uh, that wants you to be one of the best dressed fans of this season. They have so many different things from so many different schools, thirty different, thirty plus different schools. Almost all of the Big 12 schools just missing out on Cincinnati, uh, but they have tons of great stuff. If you go over to charliehustle.com, use promo code 101215, you can save 15% off of all non-sale items. That's TEN1215. They are, of course, a proud sponsor of us here on the 1012 Podcast Network. Absolutely love working with them. They are a Big 12-focused company as well, which we absolutely love. They have a Kansas City skyline on a Big 12 logo uh, for, for basketball shirts. It's fantastic. I have one, I think, on the way. I sure hope it gets here soon because I want to be rocking it all the time. But if you go over to charliehustle.com, promo code 101215, get 15% off of all of those non-sale items. They still have quite a few sales going on from the holidays, so make sure you go and check out what they have. But they have tons of NIL stuff for individual players, some great shirts for both football and basketball, and a bunch of other stuff. So again, Charlie Hustle, Vintage Made Fresh. All right, I do want to go ahead and jump to the specifics of this game, but before we do that, I'm going to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk Podcast. And we're back. I am here with Melissa Trebosser. We are talking, of course, TCU basketball, which means, uh, you know, this is it's weird that this is kind of the opener. It's also kind of weird as, you know, being so used to the round, the, the double round robin, that this is the only matchup between these two teams this year. So, yeah. First of all, how, how, uh, I guess, how, how bummed out are you that that, that this is the only matchup between these two teams and that uh, it's at Allen? <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, it sucks. Like, 
uh, it's the worst part about realignment. I was actually um, uh, talking with our mutual friend Shahan Jiraja uh, the other day on Twitter about this because TCU and Baylor women's basketball played um, uh, down in Foster Pavilion, that beautiful new facility with the worst camera angle I've ever seen in my entire life. And, um, yeah. you know, it's like, I was like, oh man, like at least, you know, it'll be different in Fort Worth. Oh, no, we don't get to play you in Fort Worth. So it's like TCU women's basketball only gets to play Baylor on the road. That TCU seems so weird that TCU right? and Baylor only play once. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't actually looked at the men might play both times. The women are only playing one time. I actually haven't, haven't, I don't yeah, that's remember, weird. but, um, but yeah, so it's just kind of like, man, like you want, especially when you've got programs that are, that are building, right? Like if you're TCU, like you want Kansas to come to your house, you know, if you're TCU women, you want Baylor to come to your house because those are games that are going to sell out, that are going to get the crowd. And I think that, that they've done a great job, um, building the crowd and, and building the student environment at Shomar Arena for, for the men's games. And it's coming along for the women's now that that program's having some success as well. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I miss it. Like I loved. Uh, especially when I was in Fort Worth, I was living there. Like it was so fun knowing that you were going to get to see all of these elite basketball programs come to your house and that you were going to get the big ESPN games. I mean, one of my favorite ba- like regular season basketball memories of games I've ever attended was the first time TCU ever hosted Big Monday and they had a top five West Virginia team come to town and TCU just took it to them behind Desmond Bain and, and that team. And um, seeing T- like as someone who, who, you know, was around for the last time TCU won a uh, NCAA tournament back in the nineties. And then to see kind of that, that program reinvigorated, it's, it's really cool. So it super bums me out. Like I'm obviously excited about the depth and the ability across the conference, but when you add programs, you lose things and, and losing the round robin the double round robin to me is is the worst uh, one of the worst casualties of realignment for sure yeah yeah it's definitely not a great thing to lose some of those i mean i, I understand why they did it you know it's it's a necessary <laughs> evil i think yeah, yeah but uh i definitely did enjoy the ability to say hey if you beat us once we have an opportunity to get you back yeah um sure. and of course beating k-state twice every year was a lot of fun. Always, so always enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Uh, but so, so looking at the specific game, obviously Kansas looks a lot different from last year, only having what, like three, three different people, uh, <laughs> that, that are coming back from last year. Now, granted, it's three of the, the bigger players in, uh, Kevin McCuller, Dewan Harris, and then, uh, KJ Adams. Like those are the, mm-hmm. those are the three starters that came back and they played some very significant roles. But, um, looking at how, TCU matches up against these guys because seeing what Kansas has done this year, you know, they've definitely had some struggles, but I don't think nearly as many struggles as, as we were afraid they might have had. I, you know, obviously I think like things like three point shooting have been a little sketchy at times. Um, but looking over at Ken Palm, I mean, they're shooting 38.4%. So to, to say that three point shooting for this Kansas team is a worry and then they're shooting that kind of clip. Um, like when you look at it from a TCU standpoint, what can TCU do effectively that will allow them to compete in this game? You know, I think the biggest thing is is just the length that TCU provides defensively. I'm worried about us being – I think Kansas is going to be able to control the tempo, especially Allen Fieldhouse. I think they're going to be able to take TCU out of their running game. I mean, we talked about last year's game. That was the difference maker's turnovers. TCU got out and run. Um, if you if you let TCU get out and run, they're 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 going to be able to to score in the 80s. And if they score in the 80s, they're probably going to beat Kansas, I think. Like, if, if Kansas is giving up that many points, I think TCU is going to win. But – 
Um, I, I think Kansas will slow down and control the pace and the tempo. And so it's going to, if it comes down to kind of a, like, I don't want to say necessarily a defensive battle, but I could a hundred percent see this game being played in the sixties, right? Like I, I just, I think it could be one of those. Um, if, if there's a team that scores 80 points, it's probably Kansas, not TCU, um, on Saturday. That, that'd be my, my assumption. So, uh, but I think their length will bother them. I, I mean, that's one thing that I really like about this TCU team is they can really clog the passing lanes. They can get out, they get a ton of deflections. They make it really hard to execute your offense at a high level. And like you said, Kansas, like we say, this Kansas team has struggled in the way that like we like. Right. Air quote struggled. Yeah. Your (laughs) your expectations are so high that that, you know, anything that's slightly below those expectations doesn't doesn't seem to to be up to par. So um, I, I think that they can kind of get them to play down to the lowest level we've seen them play this season. I just don't know if that's going to be enough for TCU to be able to outperform them, right? Like, that's my concern. Um, I'm very interested to see what the paint protection looks like. You know, we talked about Uday a ton earlier, and so that's obviously a big part of it, but it's also going to be Xavier Cork. It's also going to be Mustafa. Um, can those guys do enough to kind of keep those guards out of the passing lane and prevent them from getting easy looks from three on those on those spray um, opportunities, kind of the touch paint and kick it out? So, I, I just I think it's a, an interesting game. I think that Kansas has an advantage at pretty much every position, um, despite the fact this isn't the most talented Kansas team we've seen. Um, but it, it would take TCU playing at a very, very high level that we have not seen them play against an elite team um, in order for them to win. And like I said, have not seen that against an elite team. Um, TCU's best games have come against bad competition um, and they've struggled against Clemson and Nevada and um, you know even Georgetown frankly they got lucky because Emmanuel Miller was out of bounds when he hit that three-pointer so um, this is kind of the this is going to be setting the bar for TCU and Big 12 play Um, I don't expect them to beat Kansas but if they can be competitive with Kansas then you say okay they can finish that that top six or seven maybe in the Big 12 which will pretty much guarantee them to be a tournament team this year yeah the one thing that I will say though is that like this Kansas team is either going to look really good or going to look really bad. And so, like, yeah. if Kansas completely blows the water, you know, blows TCU out of the water, I don't know that that's necessarily an indictment on TCU, especially, you know, if, if, if Kevin McCuller goes for 40, like, you know, if he goes for a whole bunch and I mean, he's been playing like a national player of the year candidate, um, you know, and then Hunter Dickinson, like, I think TCU's biggest opportunity here is to frustrate Hunter Dickinson in a way that I think is similar to teams like Missouri did, but, but I think a little bit different. One, no one else could really keep up that pressure the entire game. Um, yeah. and then, and then two, which, which I think that TCU can, um, but two, they really did it by keeping Hunter from, or by double or triple teaming him. And I don't think that TCU needs to do that necessarily to, to at least affect the way that he plays. The question is going to be, can they continue to do that? Can they bring the extra pressure when they need to without giving up shots elsewhere? And you talk about, you know, I think the the big thing that I was going to point out is what you talked about, you know, the whole getting in the passing lanes and everything. Kansas is a is the team that has the best, literally the best assist to field goal made ratio of the entire, you know, con- or entire nation. Um, they assist like crazy, and that's kind of been what their mo is: is getting good shots from people by passing the ball around. Um, the question is going to be how much can they do that, especially on the perimeter, because that's where Kansas does most of their passing. Um, you know, I think that Hunter Dickinson is going to is going to definitely need to have more entry passes. He's not going to be able to dribble down low like he t- likes to do at times. I think the real wild card for me though is KJ Adams. He's the guy that kind of does everything for Kansas, um, especially things you wouldn't necessarily expect. He's one of the best passers on the team, uh, which is a little weird coming from a forward, but um, and also kind of weird when you talk about a guy like Dewan Harris. Um, 
you know, but he's one of the best passers on the team. He's super athletic. He goes after rebounds. He's the energy guy on the team. Like he does basically everything you could ask anybody to do. Um, and so I think I expect him to have a big game, even if it doesn't necessarily show up in the box score. The question is going to be, does TCU have someone that can match that energy that can do those sorts of things and can keep KJ from being the guy who's just all over the place on the floor and being the only guy? And that, that's what I'll be really fascinated because that's where I think Emmanuel Miller becomes the difference maker for TCU, right? Because I think Emmanuel Miller can match up with him. Um, you know, they're, Emmanuel's probably a little bit taller, but he's super athletic. He's super long and, and he can get down and guard guys on the dribble. You can also rotate Micah Peavy over him. And the, the other thing that's great too is Micah Peavy can, can guard KJ, but he can also guard Dewan Harris. You know, he can get down and guard a 6'2 guy. Like we've seen him do that. Like he, Micah Peavy will gladly take the, the best or the hardest, defensive matchup on the floor and and is not necessarily lock guys down but take them out of being able to impact the game in a lot of ways right like I think that's what you have to do to a guy like KJ Adams he may have to score a lot he may score you know on on some opportunities but if you can keep him from being the guy that's making opportunities for everybody else that's how you beat Kansas um I'm going to be very interested to see what Jamie Dixon's um philosophy is here defensively with with Hunter Dickinson like you said are they going to you know, and again, I've been watching way more NBA basketball than I than I usually watch. Like normally, this time of year, I'm only watching college. But because of my coverage duties with the Kings, I'm 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 going in person games like multiple times a week. And I, you know, it kind of reminds me of what um what uh, Mike Brown was doing against the Magic um, the other night, and, t- and the Kings like double OT win. They were blitzing Paolo Banquero uh, with a second defender, and then trying to rotate. Now the Magic ended up shooting an insane percentage from three, like one of the worst three point shooting teams in the league. And so they did take advantage, but they played the percentages. And at the end of the game, you know, the end of OT, the magic missed the key shots because they chose to take the ball out of bank Harrow's hands. And I think you can kind of do the same philosophy, the difference between TCU and, and the Kings. Well, there's a lot of differences, but one of the biggest differences is TCU has so much length on the perimeter. And so you can get away with blitzing guys. Like if you want to blitz Hunter Dickinson in the block and then just try to rotate when he passes out for the open three-point shooter, I think TCU can cover a lot of that ground and still prevent there from being a ton of wide open threes. Now, Kansas can get that ball moving in a hurry and you're going to be able to get some good looks. But but if I'm J.B. Dixon, that's the philosophy I'm taking. You know, once Hunter Dickinson starts to heat up, I'm going to blitz him with a second defender and then I'm going to ask my guys to rotate and recover um, and play the percentages that way because that's still probably your best opportunity. Keep guys out of the paint, give them contested looks from the perimeter and dare them to beat you that way. If you're going to beat Kansas, I think that's the that's the kind of the long game you have to play. So um, I'm really, really excited to watch this one. Um, I, I hope that, like you said, it's not necessarily a barometer, but but to me it's important that TC doesn't get run out of the gym. You cannot go on the road in your first Big 12 game of the season with this brand new roster and get beat by 20. That's going to set the tone so negatively, and you don't have time to reflect on poor losses in this league because there's not a lot of venues that you're going to walk into, and there's not a lot of teams that are going to walk into yours where you can say, oh, this one should be a dub, right? There's just right. not. I mean, freaking well, especially look at the early slate. Well, But especially look at the early slate. I mean, like Oklahoma, top 25 in Ken Palm. <laughs> Houston at home <laughs> like so those are the two you follow up with after after yeah. uh, Kansas now granted if they lose by 20 to Kansas and then win both of those other two games no matter how close they are sure like you fine. feel you feel pretty good about that but uh, you know like to your point I think this is probably the one place that you could go on the road and potentially lose big and still feel okay you know if certain things went your way if you can point if you can identify what it was that Kansas did the thing yeah. that I worry about you know, or that I would worry about if I was a TCU fan, because obviously I'm not, um, <laughs> would be the fact that KJ Adams complicates what you were talking about. Because 
normally you would think, you know, Hunter Dickinson is a good interior passer and good at kicking it back out to people. But what happens is when teams double or triple team Hunter, it opens up Adams to be that main passer. And I think that's most teams, when they talk about passing the ball around, they're talking about passing it around the, the you know, the perimeter. Uh, Kansas doesn't do that. Like, yeah, they pass some around the perimeter, but most of the time what their pass is is either a pass into Dickinson or a pass into Adams who then kicks it back out. Um, yeah. Or they even kick it to each other. And so, like, that's where the difficulty is, is that you don't have well-defined passing lanes when you're playing against the Jayhawks that you can try to jump or that you can try to clog up because they can pretty much pass from anywhere on the half court to anywhere else on the half court. And they've done it all year long, and it's it's ridiculous to watch. Um, K.J. Adams is one of those players that I am looking forward to seeing what he can do in his next couple of years because I do think he's going to be underrated the entire way like he was the most improved player last year the way that he's playing this year though he has to be one of the heavy favorites to be the most improved player again in the big 12 this year like it is that ridiculous um so yeah Kansas is going to be in the running for a lot of the individual awards like Dewan Harris is probably going to be in the running for defender of the year in the, in the big 12 and obviously there'll be a lot of competition but Kansas is loaded at all of the different pieces. The question always becomes, can they put it together? And is there a weakness? If you're looking at a weakness for Kansas, they don't rebound offensively very well. Um, and they are kind of prone to turnovers. Two things that I think TCU can take advantage of. I just don't know that they necessarily will be able to, especially if guys like Nick Timberlake are raining threes. He had a really good game a couple games ago. Didn't have quite as good a game against Wichita State uh, in the in the most recent one, but the hope is that he can get back on track going into conference play because I know that Kansas is going to need that guy. But I do think that that's probably the way to win for TCU is that you hope that a guy like you know Timberlake doesn't get hot from the outside, and then you do everything you can to just slow down whatever Kansas is trying to do. It's weird because when Kansas gets going, they can run with the best of them. So the question is, you want them to be, you want to speed them up before they're ready to speed up. Um, or you want to completely slow everything down the entire way, and, yeah, and I don't think TCU and I don't think TCU is going to do that. So, like, period. I think yeah. I think the goal for TCU is going to be right. Yeah. I think the goal for TCU is to go as fast as possible out of the break and hope that Kansas is not ready to run. Yeah, I, I think that's and, and you mentioned rebounding. I mean, I think that's that's an area where TCU has been relatively elite so far this season. Again, competition level, we'll see, but. Um, that's, that is where they can be difference makers. They can force turnovers and if they can get rebounds and TCU attacks the offensive glass really, really well. Um, and I think that translates no matter who you're playing. So uh, that's, that's, they're going to have to be really aggressive on the offensive glass. They're going to have to force turnovers. They're going to have to get deflections. Um, and you know, the, the thing we haven't really talked about, we talked about Uday is if he can handle Dickinson down low without needing a ton of help, I don't expect to see any triple teams. I don't think TC needs a triple team. Um, but if he can, if he can handle Dickinson and they can, they can send an Avery Anderson or they can send, they can leave Micah Peavy and, a, and Emmanuel Miller to handle their responsibilities and maybe they can clog those interior passing lanes as well. That that's going to be the thing. And that's one thing where I do think a Micah PV, you know, if TC wins this game, I'm probably telling you Micah PV was the MVP of, of that game. Like I, I do think he can be that kind of difference maker defensively, um, but he can only guard one guy. Right. And so it, right. it's, are you going to take away KJ Adams? Are you going to try to, to like where are you going to focus that energy and and maybe maybe if Adams is the guy who's who's feasting inside I, I could see Micah PV playing that role and Avery Anderson um matching up on a Deshaun like I think that's probably what we might end up seeing so it's going to be fascinating I mean Jamie Dixon has some some tough decisions to make in game planning for this CC's had a lot of time off uh, that could be a good thing that could be a bad thing I mean they haven't they haven't played a game in a week so um they are almost a week so they haven't they haven't have had a chance to really put in a game plan specific for this one 
But then, like you said, you know, your reward for getting past number two, Kansas, is number 11, Oklahoma, number three, Houston, before you get a relative break at Cincinnati. So uh, it's going to be fascinating uh, to see how TCU handles this early slate. Um, And it's not like it's going to get a whole lot easier from here. I mean, this conference is going to be um, a challenge up and down. I mean, like saying saying that it's a grind is a huge understatement. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it, it's I do think the tone setting of this matters. Like you can lose this game, but you you have to lose this game feeling like you played well and you competed well. You can't lose this game feeling like you didn't show up because that that one loss turns into three really really quickly. So yep. um, I, I I'm not going to say it's impossible for TC to go into Allen and win. They they did a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, right? But I definitely think it's a challenge. I think you want to you want to be a, this game to be a tone setter. You're not looking for a moral victory, but you at least want to say, hey, we can execute what we want to do against the highest level of, of competition. We can be competitive in the Big 12 Conference this year. We can make sure that we are not just a tournament team, but a team that's prepared to win multiple games in the tournament this spring. I think that's kind of how you're looking at this one if you're a TC fan. Right. The, the goal here is to give yourself a sense of belonging with the top teams in the mm-hmm. Big 12. You exactly. don't expect to win on the road against the top team in the Big 12. Nobody does. Even Kansas yeah. doesn't expect to win. Like, they, they go in yeah. thinking they have a good shot, and that's really what you're hoping for. Um, it tells you how just deep and layered and how many weapons Kansas has when we went, you know, almost 45 minutes and did not even really talk very much about Kevin McCuller, uh, who is, is probably the guy that could probably take this game over on his own if he really wanted yeah, to at some, sure. at some point. For so, sure. unfortunately, though, we are out of time. So... Uh, really, really quick. You, you did say, like, what, what is your prediction for this game? I think Kansas wins. Um, I, I think it's probably kind of in that, that eight to 12 point range. Um, and I'd be okay with that. If it looks like TCU's playing well, if they're not just filling the bucket, you know, stat sheet late in a blowout, I'm fine with that. But I, I think Kansas has every advantage. Um, Plus, like, you know, I, I can't leave this podcast without saying um, we know how the officiating is going to go at Allen Fieldhouse. So um, I, I think that, that Kansas it, it's, probably— Honestly, it's funny because it's nowhere near as bad as everybody says that it is. I mean, it's slightly slanted. Save, no, 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 no. That. It's slightly slanted to the Jayhawks like it is for most home environments. But typically what happens is Kansas is up enough that other teams have to start fouling late to try to extend the game. And then that makes the discrepancy look huge. Yeah, when in never, reality it's not necessarily that But it's never that big. those fouls that we're complaining about. It's how the it's the tone that gets set in the first half by the officiating that that ends up playing ultimately to why people think it's it's slanted. It'll well, I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot of yeah. confirmation bias, but that's okay. All right, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Melissa. Oh, always great to have you on. For those that want to get more information about TCU, or you know, if there's a random Sacramento Kings fan yeah. listening to the podcast, where's the best place to find your work online? You can find me at the coach Melissa on Twitter slash X. You can find me at Melissa Treve um, on Instagram. And if you are a, you know, Kansas City Kings fan uh, that wants to, to follow the Sacramento Kings, uh, you could do so at the Kings Herald. Uh, find us on the Frogs Insider podcast on DCPF, DCF, uh, Republic of Football Podcast Network, covering um, all of the football, basketball, baseball programs in the state of Texas. Awesome. And I was going to do a price pick segment, but unfortunately our sponsor price picks does not have picks up yet for this game. So we can't go pick those, but. Uh, we have, you know, we have talked about them. They are the easiest way to play daily fantasy. They have a bunch of different props that you can go and pick and can win a bunch of money with that. If you go to prizepicks.com, use promo code chalk12, you can get a 100% match up to your first $100 on your initial deposit. Um, great stuff over there. I really enjoy it. I won't spend a lot of time talking about it here because we do need to get out of here, but make sure you guys go over there and check it out. I've been having a lot of fun and I'm sure you guys will as well. So, but that is going to do it for us today. 
Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and review. Five stars, nice comments. It'd be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are, of course, part of the Tento Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, including the new ones coming in. Make sure you guys go over to 1012network.com to find links to all the great shows that we have. And we are looking to add more shows for the new, for the new team. So, uh, lots of great stuff. You can support us over on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash 1012network. We have some exclusive stuff coming out over there. And as conference play kicking up, we're looking to add even more stuff. So just five bucks a month, you can support one of the shows on the network, or you could even support more. Uh, but we absolutely love whatever you guys are able to do, but make sure you visit our sponsors. Uh, Charlie Hustle and Price Picks. That's going to do it for us today. Melissa, again, thanks for joining me. And thank you guys for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.